My name is Don, and I've been a Catholic priest for over 50 years. During that time, I've pondered these readings over and over again and have discovered something that I never saw there before. It's given me new hope, new energy, new image of what I do and how I do it. I pray the message that I'm sending you will be equally valuable to you. If you find it so, please share these podcasts with your friends. Thank you. Today we're going to be reflecting on the readings for the second Sunday of Advent. But before I enter into that work that I love doing with you, I want to share some of my feelings, my thoughts about what's going on with the program, because since we've added eight other stations across the country in the Catholic Channel, there's a slight slight shift in the way the program is unfolding. And um, I've been thinking a lot about it over these last couple of weeks. And one of the things I realized is that I've leaned heavily upon a kind of uh, uh, the first part of the Mass, the Liturgy of the Word, and that's been fundamentally what I've been doing. So it's in a way, I feel like when I'm doing this work, I'm in my vestments, I'm in a church, and, and I'm recording it, and you're listening to it. And for Catholics, that's probably very easy and comforting. Um, but my audience is much more than just my Roman Catholic brothers and sisters. It's all brothers and sisters that are seeking God and seeking understanding and wisdom. And so it feels like I want to... Uh, I want to maybe not lean so heavily on the ritual of it. And one of the things that also I had to change when I entered into other stations was the idea of having no music. And that was because of royalties throughout the stations, and I missed that a lot. And that seemed to add a lot more to the way that it happens in a church, in a ritual. So without music, it seems more, I don't know, less formal, and then I've been thinking about it, and there's something that I really like about moving, let's say, out of my vestments from the altar down into the congregation and sitting and gathering people around me. And that's not to say it's all about me, but it's about intimacy. It's about more of a personal relationship that we have as we struggle together to understand these readings and live this life that God has called us to. So... Um, What I'm saying, I guess, to you is that bear with me as we sort of find a new sweet spot for the way the program is going to unfold. And I'd love to hear from a lot of you that may be new listeners and see what you think about my work, from the older listeners that I love so much, that I've been with so long, the struggle they might have with the changes. But, you know, if you just use info at pastoralri.com, that's info at pastoralri.com. Just send me a note and let me know how you're feeling about what I'm struggling with to make this program as effective and as powerful as I, I long for it to be. But we'll always, we'll always have this one major focus. We'll focus on the liturgy of the Word that is being read in many, many religions throughout the country, throughout the world, um, not just Roman Catholics, but it's the liturgy of the Word that many churches use. So I think we have something that I always want to go to that everyone in the world in that same time is really reflecting on these thoughts. And there's something so, I think, interesting and valuable about communal experiences. It's all about community and union and communion, this, this, this wonderful thing called Christianity. And so if we're all working on this together, there's power in that. 
So I'm hoping that that's what we can tap into, not just my thoughts, not your reflections on my thoughts, but the thoughts that are going on throughout this whole wonderful thing that's so interconnected called the human race. So let's look at the readings. The first reading is from the Old Testament, from Baruch, and it goes like this. Jerusalem, take off your robe of mourning and misery. Put on the splendor of glory from God forever, wrapped in the cloak of justice from God. Bear on your head the mitre that displays the glory of the eternal name. For God will show all the earth your splendor. You'll be named by God forever, the peace of justice, the glory of God's worship. Up, Jerusalem. Stand upon the heights. Look to the east and see your children gathered from the east and the west at the word of the Holy One, rejoicing that they are remembered by God. Led away on foot by their enemies, they left you but God will bring them back to you, born aloft in glory as on royal thrones. For God has commanded that every lofty mountain be made low and all the age-old depths and gorges be filled to level ground, that Israel may advance secure in the glory of God. The forest and every fragrant kind of tree have overshadowed Israel at God's command. For God is leading Israel in joy by the light of his glory, with his mercy and justice for company. The word of the Lord. Response Soil Psalm. The Lord has done great things for us. We're filled with joy. When the Lord brought back the captives of Zion, we were like men dreaming. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with rejoicing. The Lord has done great things for us. We are filled with joy. Then they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us. We are glad indeed. The Lord has done great things for us. We're filled with joy. Restore, O fortunes, O Lord. Let the torrents of the southern desert, those who sow in tears, shall reap rejoicing. The Lord has done great things for us. We're filled with joy. Although they go away weeping, carrying the seed to be sown, they will come back rejoicing, carrying their sheaves. The Lord has done great things for us. We are filled with joy. A reading from the New Testament, from St. Paul's letter to the Philippians, first chapter, 4 through the 6th verse and 8 through the 11th verse. Brothers and sisters, I pray always with joy in my every prayer for all of you because of your partnership for the gospel from the first day until now. I'm confident of this, that the one who began a good work in you will continue to complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. God is my witness. How I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, that your love may increase ever more and more in knowledge and in every kind of perception to discern what is of value, so that you may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes from Christ for the glory and the praise of God. The word of the Lord. Hallelujah, verse 
Prepare the way of the Lord, make straight his paths. All flesh shall see the salvation of God. The gospel is taken from St. Luke, third chapter, first through the sixth verse. In the fifteenth year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, Herod was tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip tetrarch of the region of Eturia and Traconitus, and Asanius was tetrarch of Abilene. During the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the desert. John went throughout the whole region of the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins, as it is written in the book of the words of the prophet Isaiah. A voice of one coming out in the desert, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight his paths, Every valley shall be filled, every mountain and hill shall be made low. The winding roads shall be made straight, and the rough ways made smooth. And all flesh shall see the salvation of God. The Gospel of the Lord. One of the fascinating things about um, 
the readings I just read, and not just those readings, but the story of the Old Testament, the New Testament, is how powerful it is in terms of awakening human beings to who they are and who God is and why we're here. And when you think about it, it's it's really a complicated, you know, um, story of a, of a people that changed from the beginning, from Adam and Eve to their naive way in which they thought that this um, life that they were given by God was something that they had to, and it, I guess, reveals human nature, but they had to experience it. They were told they had this gift of free will, and they said, well, I want to I want to use my free will. I want to make my own decisions. I don't want to be told what to do. I want to, I want to make. I want to learn how to make decisions and 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 live by them. And that's the whole story of 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 that thing called the fall of of the human race, the fall of Adam. It wasn't so much a fall from grace as much as it was a awakening inside the human beings that they were here with the purpose and the experience they wanted to have is what it's like to be free, to make decisions. Nothing else that God ever created was able to do that. And it's hard to imagine that they wouldn't have gone toward that more than anything else. I want to be the one who comes into the world and figures it out. Give me a little autonomy is what they were, what they were saying indirectly. And and God allowed it. God allowed him to come into the world, and then there's this unfolding story, Old Testament, New Testament. The God of the Old Testament is fascinating because he seems to be at times loving and caring, and at other times extremely angry, jealous, raging. And so we have is, is, a, is an evolution in the Old Testament of who human beings are and how God has revealed himself. God doesn't change. I say that to you over and over again. But he does reveal himself in ways that human beings are able to comprehend. He couldn't have begun talking, let's say, to Cain and Abel about forgiveness, about redemption, about dying to save someone else. I mean, there was no way the human race at that time could have comprehended any of that. So it took a long time for God to reveal who he is and what he's about. And the Old Testament is really an interesting story because it so much focuses on what human beings are being asked to do by God in order to find favor with God. And what they were asked to do was really to live according to their nature, to stop doing the things they were doing, to stop the corruption, the lying, the cheating, the, 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 the horrible behavior that they had for each other. Whenever they got caught up in that, whenever corruption filled them, then their enemies would overtake them and then they would be flat on their back, in a sense, and then they'd come back. And that's what we have in the first reading. Remember last week we talked about the end of, of the temple era and Jerusalem was going to be destroyed by, by the Romans and Jesus predicted it and told his disciples to beware that, that this whole system of the Old Testament had to die, had to be replaced with something new and the new was the mercy and the forgiveness of a God who finally was able to reach the point where human beings were able to receive something from him. And instead of giving them rules and laws and regulations and reward and punishment, 
He was inviting them into an intimate relationship with him. Intimate relationship with him. You can imagine the Old Testament was so much about God asking human beings to do the things they needed to do in order to please God. It's like people trying to get to God. Old Testament. New Testament is the opposite direction. God is now coming to them. God is the one moving toward them more and more intimately, more and more personally, more and more in a way that is shocking and scandalous and even blasphemous. In the Old Testament, there would be no way that anybody, anyone could consider that they could, that God could enter into them or that God could be one with them. They were filthy, dirty, ugly. <laughs> now I was exaggerating, but they were not what you would call very mature. And they were so prone to those lower levels of our human nature that's born into self-survival and taking care of our own and, and taking care of just what belongs to us until finally we're, we learn that the, the call of the gospel is going to draw us into a place where we're not so much focused on me, myself, mine, but on others, on others. Caring for others is the core of the New Testament, and that's what God has come to teach in the person of Jesus. And the only way he could do that, the only way he could teach people to be that way, would be to ask them to allow God to be that first for them. That's, that's the amazing part of the New Testament. I mean, when, when time was right, if you look at the Gospel, when the time was exactly right, and, and people were ready to receive a message that could not possibly have been given before that moment. And John the Baptist, who had been already engaged in this longing of a transformation from the Old Testament system of, of sin and punishment and reward and, and, and punishment for, for what they did, and regulations, 613 regulations guiding everyone's life. I mean, it was a control thing. And he knew, somehow, John knew the time was right, and he was going to announce something so brand new, so amazing. It's, and it's, it's, it's what this whole season is about, the season of Advent. Something new is coming. You know, it's interesting when you think about Advent and, and, and repeating something over and over again, like, okay, now we're starting again to go through another evangelist his view of, of how God revealed himself through Jesus to the people, and he gives his, his version of it, and we contemplate it, and we wonder about it, and we want to we wanna experience the same thing. And that's, that's a, a wonderful way to imagine a new season, but at the same time, if it's just, oh, we we'll do this again, it's not just doing it again, it's being ready to receive something new that we've never received before. Unless you enter into this experience with me of examining Luke's gospel, unless you discover something you've never discovered before, unless you take a risk and find something in it that makes your life so different, we're not really engaged in this work that you and I have promised we can do for each other when we look at these readings and say we want the wisdom, we want the knowledge, we want the understanding that's in them. We want to receive this gift that is being given not something that we're supposed to work for, 
but that we have to receive. We have to, I don't know, we have to be passive. And that's really difficult for an egocentric human being. Adam is expressing that human nature in all of us. Let me go figure it out. Let me do, let me figure out what I have to do and what I have to be, and I'll do that. I'll make myself into that. And when I make myself into that, I will be rewarded in some level, even if it's just my own self-esteem that goes high when I say, I, I, I have done this. And Jesus comes along and said, no, no, it's just the opposite of that. No, the whole mystery of this season of reflections on the readings is somehow to shift away from that Old Testament goal of achieving something for God, allowing God, in, it, that in place of that, allowing God to enter into us and receiving who he is receiving who he is. And until you can receive who he is, you can't be who he is. And that's the challenge of the, of the New Testament. And what is it that God is, is, is saying to us about, through Jesus, he's saying, look, I want a relationship with you where I can come and enter into you and take you somewhere. And where he wants to take us is so ridiculously weird and, and strange. He said, I want to take you into the heart of God. I want you to have a relationship with God, like I have a relationship with God, where he lives inside of you. And you would live inside of him. He said this over and over to his disciples, and they just were totally baffled and confused by it and said, this is such a hard saying, we don't know what to say. I mean, to say to a group of people who felt that God was so great, so powerful, that if he came into your life, you'd be destroyed. And now find out there's this God of intimacy that wants to enter into us and dwell there as we are. Not clean it up, fix it up, stop all the sinning, and then I'll come to you. That, that's the Old Testament, but the New Testament is, no, I want to come and dwell inside of you as you are. And all I want is to invite you into a place where you never imagined you could be, but the place is, again, in the heart of God and God in you. And then what is that like? Well, Jesus would say, you want to know what it's like? Look at me. What I'm telling you, what the New Testament is all about, is you living a life that I have taught you to live by my living it first for you. And what you'll see in me is not a man who is struggling only. <laughs> he struggles certainly to surrender to all the things he was asked to do. But what he's really saying, I want you to surrender to a world that I am explaining to you is your destiny, your your, your purpose for being here, and that is to have a God dwelling inside of you, resonating out of you, life for other people. That's your core. And that is not dependent upon your performance in terms of whether you're sinning or not sinning, unless the sin that you're committing is resistance, complete, I will not give in to this. I will be in charge of everything that is good, 
that comes out of me, it's going to be out of my, my will, my desires, my, my, my talent. God, we're so addicted to that kind of sense of value in who we are by what we do or how we perform. Or, and that's not what it's about. It's about being a receiver of a gift that is beyond our imagining and letting that gift flow from us to someone else. That's an adventure, an adventure of letting go of ego and will and mind and opening up heart, opening up a heart that is um, so effective and so powerful in terms of its ability to change the world. But, you know, you would think that would be an easy thing. Okay, if you're going to do something with me, through me, and all I have to do is surrender to that, that should be easier than trying to do it myself. Well, that's not the way human nature is designed initially, and it needs to be transformed. And so the only way it can happen is that God has to change you. And this is the most bizarre part of it. He won't do that unless you say yes. Unless you say, okay. I'll stop being the one in charge. I'll stop being the one in control. I'll stop being the one who is making it all happen. I'll let you enter into me and do something new. (laughs) That's not as easy as I may have just made it sound because I've been trying that for 81 years and I still can't do it. It's still hard to think about me not being the source of these words that I'm saying to you, that I'm the one that's making these words make sense, and you're going to be thankful that I did my homework and I made this homily work for you, and, and that's, 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 that's what I should leave this station with, since I did something wonderful for those people, and I don't have that anymore. At least it's not as strong as it was, and maybe it's finally dying. Where I can come in here and say, I have no idea what I'm going to say, and then let you speak through me, and that is so hard, (laughs) so hard. Or to walk into a situation where somebody needs you, and you don't have anything to say, and you say, just use me, just use me. And and even if you, it may not even be words that he uses. It's a whole different world. And that's the adventure to come into that new world, that new place of surrender acceptance of a new life that is only given, never achieved. So I hope these words have been helpful. And now I want to turn to God and ask him to bless you as I ask him to bless me. Our closing prayer. Father, humanity is a a great mystery. You made us, in a sense, so autonomous and so separate. At the same time, we're like little children longing for you, longing for your spirit inside of us, knowing on some deep, deep level that we're not enough. But to feel we're not enough is terrifying to the ego and to the will. So bless us with humility, with an ability to sense your patience with us as we struggle with this. And, And most especially, I ask you to to bless this work that this program has given to me to work and to find new people and have a relationship with them that I believe is going to be powerful for me and for them. So bless this ministry of mine that is now going through some kind of change that I don't fully understand, but I pray it'll be effective and life-giving. So thank you, God, for your, your gift of life. 
Amen. I'd like to remind you that the program you just listened to is available on our website, pastorreflectionsinstitute.com, as well as on our podcast. Go to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe to Finding God in Ourselves. It's free to listen to anywhere, anytime. This ministry also needs your support, so make a one-time or recurring tax-deductible donation on our website. Thank you so much for your listenership and your continued support, for without it, this program would not be possible. Thank you.